0: Let's open our Bibles then, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes, the 10th chapter. We've got down to the 7th verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 7. This is where we left off. We'll just pick this up at that verse and kind of renew our thoughts on it and then continue with verse-by-verse exposition of it. Before we pick it up with that verse, let me remind everyone that the book of Ecclesiastes has to do with Uh, basically, the vanities of life, and if we put all of our stock in just the vanities, just the things of life, the temporal things of life, we're going to be greatly disappointed. We have to seek things far above merely the pleasures, the the joys, the uh, material things of this life. If we're to find any real satisfaction, it says vanity of vanities many times of all things that are done under the sun. Speaking of this earthly life. And it says all is vanity and vexation of spirit. And for a person to live this whole life through with his mind on nothing but this life. And no no thought of, of spirituality, of eternity, or the hereafter, or of anything above the norm of this life. He's going to be the most disappointed and dissatisfied person you can ever find. And the only people that have real genuine satisfaction are those who look above this world to the things that God has promised to make make us happy. And he's given us a plan and especially the New Testament tells us much about what will make us happy. Because the Old Testament we're dealing with in this particular section of scripture, as I've already said, the vanities of life itself already before we even open the scripture and speak of the first verse that we'll study we've already in our prayer meeting discussed many of the disappointments and the heartaches and the troubles and the things that people face uh, there's sicknesses all around about us there's bereavement there's uh, people that have surgeries there's people that are waiting for reports and various things and uh, it's just That way. And that's a part of life. And we have to learn to deal with it when those times come. And you may be sitting in your castle and thinking, well, nothing will ever happen to me. I'm protected on all four sides. But that doesn't mean it will not happen. Because it can happen to each and every one of us. But again, I want to have one more word and then I'll get to this. I don't usually do this, but I thank all of you for praying for me. I went to the doctor today and he said that my throat was better And he said, first time he revealed it, but he said, Brother Joyce, I was, he said, Wayne, I was really worried about that when you first came. So now he's satisfied it's healing and everything's okay. Okay, chapter 10 and verse 7 says, I have seen servants upon horses, look at this, and princes walking as servants upon the earth. And here's the reversal of the low social status to the uh, benefits of distinction. Servants upon horses, they're riding in dignity. While you've seen princes walking as servants upon the earth, sometimes God reverses the situation of social standing. So don't ever think that just because you're standing high on the social ladder today, that it'll always be that way. Or don't ever think that just because you're low today, that you'll never be lifted up. These servants were lifted up to places of riding on horses. So there's hope in every case. For us, but help us to see that all these reverses can come and that God is in control of them. Look at verse 8. It says, He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Here's showing us this that the wrong done to others sometimes recoils back upon ourselves. Remember the incident we've referred to it time and again. Remember old Haman built a gallows that he was to hang Mordecai in the book of Esther. He was going to hang Mordecai the Jew. And the Bible tells us, let me read it for you. If I can find the book of Esther. Uh, Chapter 7 and verse 10 it says, So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. There came a reversal of situation. And the man that had prepared the gallows for another fellow that he despised, it recalled upon him, and his actual demise was that which he had built for someone else. It's like a boomerang. You go out to set in to do someone else harm, and you just better look out. It might return back. And then it says, And whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. In the book of Amos, chapter 5 and verse 19, it says this, As if a man did flee from a lion, and a bear met him, or went into a house and leaned, upon, uh, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. The loosely mortared stone walls of the houses were given to cracking, and such cracks provided snakes a home. And so when broken into, the offender would be bitten by the serpent, just by putting his hand upon the wall. And in this case, back in the book of Ecclesiastes, Whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. If you break down a wall or a hedge, or or there's always a nesting place for the serpents to to turn and do you harm. Look at verse 9. This kind of amazes me. Whoso removeth stone shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. Even the normal things of life. You go to the stone quarry you better look out if you don't You know you have to do things right. You see a fellow reckless, most of the time we bring injury to ourselves by accidents. We do ourselves more harm than a lot of other folks do. And it says, Whoso removeth stones, there's nothing wrong with removing stones, shall be hurt therewith. In other words, the idea is to be careful. And he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. You go out to cut wood. There's a lot of things can happen. Someone said, well, you take the axe and you chop the wood or saw or whatever. The saw slips and cuts your hand. We know that about the chainsaws nowadays, don't we? Well, in the older days, they had other kinds of saws and other kinds of uh, uh, implements to use. And then cutting wood. I remember my dad one time was chopping wood up here. And he had a double-bitted axe. You know, one of those old double-bladed axes. And he was cutting this wood, and that's after we moved to Riedosa. In 1927 I came here, and I was six months old. So you can figure out now exactly how old I am. So anyway, uh, he cut through his foot with that axe. And the doctor finally rustled up a doctor somewhere. There was probably just one to be had in Riedosa at that time. And they had no medication to give you, no nothing. And he says, "Coleman, you better hold on because I got to sew that up." And I mean, it was a slit that long in the side of his foot. And he started sewing that thing up, and Dad just sat there, laid there, and whistled. And uh, I believe I'd be whistling pretty loud, but you know, he was. A, you know, some of those old timers were pretty tough guys. They had to put up with. They didn't have all the stuff we got nowadays. I'd say, Doctor, put me out, put me to sleep, and give me all kinds of things. But you know, the ordinary, simple things of life sometimes can bring very serious wounds to ourselves. Now look at uh, the next verse. In verse 10, If the iron be blunt, and he doth not wet the edge, if you have an axe and needs sharpening, then must he put more strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. Now, what is this all talking about? What is this all talking about? It's a lot wiser to sharpen that axe, isn't it, than to have to just take all the strength you have to cut the wood. It would be a lot wiser to make it sharp so that you wouldn't have to put forth as much strength. In other words, what it's saying here, that wisdom is practical. It would be wiser to be practical in this matter and do what you're supposed to do. A lot of us are craftsmen of various kinds, and we know it's a lot easier to work with sharp tools and ready tools than it is some old thing that's uh, rusty and and dull and blunted and gapped and everything. You can usually tell the quality of workmanship by the uh, character of a man's tools, how they are prepared and whether they're any good or not. If he has something that will work, well, you know he's used to using something that's, that's profitable. And it's showing here that the benefit is that wisdom is more benefit than brute force, brute power. Because a man could chop all day with a dull axe and not do anything, right? But to be wise, wisdom is more, of more benefit than brute force. And by the way, that's, that's true in your life. Wisdom will profit you more than brute force in your life. You don't take charge of a situation by muscle and and brawn. You take charge of a situation by wisdom that God has given you. The Bible says, "...the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, but time and chance happen to to them all." And in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6 says, "...we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places, in the heavenlies." So if we wrestle not against flesh and blood, if we did, then the stronger man with muscle and brawn could win all the battles, couldn't he? But that's not the battle we're fighting as Christians. Now, it doesn't mean you shouldn't be healthy. It doesn't mean you shouldn't uh, try to take care of yourself and be physically fit. But it does mean that the battles of life have to be won also with wisdom and not with just uh, more strength put to the the axe. Look at verse uh, 11. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. Here's an unruly evil. And you know, the serpent, if he's to keep from biting and has to be enchanted so he will not bite, if you go ahead and let him bite you, it's too late to do any... In other words, it's too late now. And as far as the babbler is concerned, he's no better. If, he lets, if you let him babble off all of his destructive babble, well, then it's too late to do anything about it. So we better take care of those things beforehand. Look at verse uh, 12. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. The words of a wise man's lips, mouth, are gracious. Remember, they looked at Jesus and they said, They wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. The Bible tells you and I, let thy words be with grace, seasoned with salt. Have you ever seen folks that they didn't want to talk with gracious words, but just mean words, or destructive words, or negative words, or or, uh, uh, argumentative words? That's not good. Why do you want to argue? No one wins an argument. Why do we want to fuss and fume about things? There's no point in that. Let's learn to to have gracious words and loving words and sympathetic words and caring words. And every one of us need to do this and put it into practice. Paul, she can fall over that way too. Okay? Gracious words. Always telling me who I was supposed to be preaching to. Like the, you know, lady went out of church one morning after the preacher got through and she says, Preacher, that sure was a good sermon. Says, If they'd have been here, you really would have told them, wouldn't you? But it wasn't for her. But I think it's all for all of us, isn't it? But uh, what we're trying to say here is that the words of a wise man. A uh, man's mouth are gracious words. But the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. In other words, they damage himself. Will swallow up who? Himself. So, in other words, you're doing yourself harm sometimes. We just blurt out things and we don't use any uh, wisdom about it. And then the first thing you know, you know, if a fellow shot me in the foot, i I. I it wouldn't be quite as bad as if I did it myself. I'd say, listen, I'm responsible if I do it. It's like shooting yourself in the foot, isn't it? You're causing your own affliction. You have to deal with it if it's an accident and happens otherwise. But I hate to be responsible. I hate to self-destruct, so to speak. And then not only does it do damage to yourself, look at the next verse. Verse. It does damage to others. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. It means wicked madness, and it does others hurt as well. So we don't want to hurt ourselves with words, and we don't want to hurt others with words. My, You know, studying these things, we see we've got a long way to go, haven't we? Because we need to put all this into practice and realize it's a lot better to... uh, to try to follow God's teachings and God's Word and not so, be so hasty in judgment. Let's don't be judgmental. Uh, let's don't hold grudges. Let's be forgiving. And let's be especially loving. The Bible tells us, loving one another and forgiving one another, even as what? God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Okay, look at this verse. In verse 14, it says, A fool also is full of words. That means uh, he multiplies words. Full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be. And what shall be after him, who can tell him? This fool seems to think he knows all about the present and the future. We need to consider our ignorance of the future events. But look at here, it says, A fool is also full of words. He can tell you what is now and what is tomorrow and what shall be in all the days of the future. But it tells us here, a man cannot tell what shall be. And it says, and what shall be after him, who can tell him? We have to confess our ignorance of tomorrow. Jesus said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He says, take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself." And sometimes we're just too anxious about what will be. You know, if you, if something bad is going to happen six months down the road or a year down the road or two years down the road, and it's going to happen that far ahead, why do you have to live with it for that two years before it ever happens? You could be happy for a long time, couldn't you? You, you could kind of enjoy these two years before it happens, couldn't you? Or three or whatever, you know. So why borrow trouble? We have little old factories that just manufacture trouble. And you've heard me say that today, right now, is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. And how is it? Not so bad, is it? We're all here well and alive. Alive and well, aren't we? And all the troubles that we feel like that are before us, they will pass and they will be history one of these days. And we'll look back on them and say, well, God brought me through that. And do you know what? He usually delivers us out of one trouble before another one comes. Wouldn't it be terrible if you go back in your life, think of this for just a moment. Wouldn't it be terrible if all the troubles that you've ever had in your life were all thrust upon you at one time? I mean all the sicknesses, all the heartaches, all the, all the sorrows, all the tears, everything. But you take them one at a time and God knows what we're able to bear. And He says He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with every temptation. Listen, make a way of escape that you may be. He didn't say it would escape from all of them. There's a way provided. But He says that you may be able to what? Bear it. Bear it. And the Bible says bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So when one brother has a burden, you and I need to help bear that. It's our business to be in prayer and concern about that other brother's burden. And if we are, if we're the kind of Christian we ought to be, we love, we hurt when he hurts. And we hurt when our family hurts. You know, when your children hurt, you hurt. When your mother or father hurts, when some of your family or some that's dear to you Well, you hurt when they do. It's like Brother Randy preached on the woman that prayed for her daughter, you know. Wanted Jesus to take care of her daughter that was afflicted. And and she said, have mercy on me. Because she was hurting just as much as that daughter was hurting. The daughter was afflicted, but she was the one that was hurting. And parents are like that. And that's the way God made us. And then when our children are happy and they're victorious or successful or prosper or something good happens to them, we rejoice with them. And the same thing, we hurt with them. And so God knows the, the answer to those things. It, and it says, uh, we, we don't know what's going to be. Let's consider our ignorance of the future. Verse 15 says, The labor of, a foolish, of the foolish weareth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. The labor of the foolish weareth every one of them. The labor sometimes of foolishness is counterproductive. It doesn't accomplish anything. You see that? It weareth every one of them because he knows not how to go to the city. We'll say sometimes that this fellow doesn't know how to get in and out of the rain, right? He doesn't know where he's going. Reminds me of a story I heard one time where this fellow went into town. Most of you have heard it. And he wanted directions, and there's an old farmer standing out there by a little old station, filling station. And he says, well, where does this road go, Oh, going over here? Can you go to so-and-so? He said, I don't know. In a little bit, he said, well, what about down this street? He says, where does this take me? And he says, you know, he says, I, I never have thought about it much. I just really don't know. And he asked him about a half a dozen questions. that, uh, And finally... The, The old guy that's traveling through, he says, you know, he says, you don't know much of anything, do you? And he says, well, at least I'm not lost. (laughs) So sometimes we don't have to be real smart. Let's just know where we are. But this man didn't know how to go into the city. In verse 16, Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child, and thy princess eat in the morning. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princess eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. These two two verses need to kind of go together because the eating has to do with more than just eating in the morning. So let's look at them carefully. It says, Woe unto thee, O land, when thy king is a child. The happiness of a land depends on the character of the ruler. The happiness of our land depends upon the character of our rulers and leaders. That's why we need to pray that God will give us some good men up in our uh, nation's capital. And that we'll have good leaders. And uh, we know that there's enough corruption everywhere you look. But on the other hand, we need to pray. We're taught to pray for those that are, are in the head of a, a in place of leadership. And it says, when thy king is a child, in other words, when he's without experience, when there's a novice in office. When there's someone that's not experienced in matters of government, well certainly, it says woe to the land. If that be the case, there have been in history kings that were put on the throne at a very young age and we see the demise of their their rule and all of the things that take place. And some of the ones that they uh, tell what to do, they get in there and they're in places of power and they just control things in a very corrupt way. And it causes a lot of trouble, doesn't it? So, woe unto the land when thy king is a child, and thy princes eat in the morning. And when it says thy princes eat in the morning, it means they rise up early to drunkenness, because the next verse says uh, that thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. Look in verse 17. Eat for strength and not for drunkenness. In the book of Isaiah chapter 5, It says this in verse 11, Woe to them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink. And it says that continue until night till wine inflame them. And then it says down in verse 22, Woe to them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength. That means men of position and power or governors or rulers or presidents. It says, Woe to them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink which just, and it shows you there in the place of, of power, it says, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the right righteousness of the righteous from him. Righteousness from him. So, they have power of judgment. And it's wicked when you have that kind of rulers in the land. <clears throat> Many of you have heard the story of old Judge Roy Bean, law west of the Pecos. I remember when he... Down his gavel, it didn't make any difference whether he had jury or witness or whatever. He said that's the law, and they, you know, they were either justified by, it, turned loose, or, or condemned or hanged. If they had stolen a horse, horse thief, and he says that that guy's horse, well, down they went. And wicked and uh, selfish and not uh, in a place of judgment. Because, uh, you know, if you know that kind of law, that's just uh, not the way law should be taken care of. We need men that are of integrity. It will take. You know, sometimes we look at those guys that are legends, and and some people look up to them as heroes. But a lot of them are not heroes that you think they are. A lot of them that we uh, kind of revere or nothing but cold-blooded murderers. And I don't want to get into details because that would cause some more confusion. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We shouldn't exalt men that are like that. and We shouldn't count them as really men of of, uh, character because they're not. Okay, let's go on with this. It says uh, in uh, verse... uh, 17, Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength. The king here now is a son of nobles, and they eat for strength and not for drunkenness. Now then, verse 18 says this, By much slothfulness the building decayeth. Problems will soon arise, will soon develop. And through idleness of the hands, the house droppeth through. Idleness of the hands. The roof leaks. The rafter sag. No repair and no upkeep. Have you ever thought in days gone by if you just got one something new that all you'd have to do would be new for a hundred years and you'd never have to touch it. You've got to keep up and maintain everything that you have. And by the way, you have to maintain your body. You have to maintain your mind and your spirit. Someone says, well, that guy's physically strong, but is he mentally strong too? You have to have both. And if you start becoming lazy in your mind, it'll it'll go to pot just like your body will. You've got to keep both of them active. And exercise both body and soul. And then God will give you uh, the needed uh, qualities through that. So it says uh, by much slothfulness the building decayeth and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through. The old guy says, well my roof leaks. it's raining. It quits raining he says, well don't fix it now because it's not raining, <laughs> doesn't need it now. Well you know that's foolish not to when you see something's wrong, you better fix it before the next thing comes along or it's going to be, get worse. We used to say, according to this verse, that a stitch in time saves nine, right? Or a little, little prepare, an ounce of prevention's worth a pound of cure and all kinds of things. But it says, uh, by much slothfulness, that means laziness, that means uh, just leaving things go without any concern about keeping things up at all and thinking that they'll last forever, they won't. So you better do something about it when you know the problem is there. In verse 19 it says, A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Now from the world's perspective, the world uh, sees that money is good and it's evil, but they think it answers all things so that it's the key to success and happiness. But Jesus gives us a key to happiness and you read in Matthew chapter 5, and it's a lot different than the world sees it. It says, money answers all things. Well, does money really answer all things? Money is something that can be used for good or for evil. Money is, is good to have, to, to use, to support us, to take care of us. Or it can be used for evil. But Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, blessed, are blessednesses, plural, It means that the happiness, the word blessed means happy. And where does it start? With money? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You start out at the bottom of the ladder. You see, a lot of folks want to get on the top before they start. But you start at the bottom. And it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then it says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, that's a little progress. If I realize I'm a spiritual pauper and I mourn over my condition, say, God, help me in this because I'm nothing but spiritually, he says, they shall be comforted. And then he says, blessed are the meek. That means to be humble, doesn't it? That will greatly humble us to realize that we, we're poor in spirit and that we, we're mourning over our condition. Then, if, blessed are, they, are the meek. That's humble. Humility, they shall inherit the earth. And then it says, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. You're coming up the ladder, for they shall be filled. goes on, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the children of God. And you're just going up and up and up. But you have to take, and they're like links of a chain that are all joined together. You don't skip them either. If you cut one link in the chain, the rest of it is... Served, it's it's a parted, isn't it? It doesn't make any difference where you parted; it, it's separated. If you have eight links in the chain, the chain the chain's only as strong as its weakest link. And if you cut one link, wherever you cut it, that's where you where it separates. And so, we need the whole of the chain to take us to the top. We need to start up the ladder and start at the bottom run and go to the last one and get on the top. And the way to happiness. You remember our Constitution says life, liberty, and the what? The pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. So that means that we have not yet attained. Look at verse 20. Curse not the king. No, not in thy thought. And curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, of, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter insincere and malicious ideas communicated to those whom we would want to be the very last ones to hear them. And our words should reveal thoughts that are pure and truthful because somebody's going to hear them. It's like broadcasting them. Remember this one on the cell phone that was uh, talking to Newt? They got in trouble, didn't they? Because they really committed a crime. You know, they socked him with a big fine, but those people committed a felony. Recording a guy's Private conversation. Well, I hope it comes up because what's justice for one ought to be justice for all, right? I don't think it's fair to, to use one guy as a scapegoat and then turn the 20 of them loose. But anyway, it says, uh, Curse not the king, no not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice. You ever heard someone say that these walls have ears? Have you ever heard them say, a little bird told me? A little bird told me? It comes from this idea that whatever you say, someone may hear it and it may be broadcast to others. By the way, I'm not going to say too much about your cell phones, but it's a broadcasting system is what it is. You remember when we used to have the old phones out on the farm and everyone you knew that the neighbor farmer lady was listening to you and, and getting in on all the gossip? And then she'd call you know, someone else would pick it up about the same time and there would be three or four. Did you hear what so and so said on that line? Big old party lines? There used to be at least four to eight of them on one line. And when you told one person in the whole in in the block of the in one square mile the next three or four knew all about what was going on in your family and all your conversation, you better not mention too many things because everyone knew it. It says, A bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Look at this 11th chapter, verse 1. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Cast your bread upon the waters. Risk and benefits. If you don't cast your bread upon the waters, you have nothing to find after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. The future is unpredictable. Thou knowest not what evil may be upon the earth. You do not know. This word, thou knowest not, is found in verse 2 and verse 5 and verse 6. It's found four times, by the way. Verse 5 says, So thou knowest not the works of God. Verse 6, you have it again. Thou knowest not whether she'll prosper. And so you have all of these things that we do not know. A lot of people think they know. We do not know. God, it's in the hands of God. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. No control over man's destiny. We have no more control over the clouds or over the wind Or over a tree falling. But, once it reaches a certain place, it is unchangeable. There's no control. And man's destiny is unchangeable once death has come and overtaken him. We must remember that the way our life is, that's the way it's going to be. So you better get it straightened out now and don't say, Well, you know, God's going to give me another chance after death. He's not going to do that. You've got your chance now, your opportunity now. To fix your life like it ought to be. As a tree falls, what? Look, if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. And when a man dies and leaves this life, his destiny is fixed. So that's why it tells us in the Bible to be prepared. As far as our spiritual life is concerned, you go over in the New Testament and you find so many implications. Jesus said to one group, He says, Come unto me. He, he, he gave the message time and again Come. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He said to one group, Ye will not come unto me that ye might have life. And He says, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And so, if we will not come to Him for life, where He goes, we cannot come. The answer is with our decision and how we're uh, set up to go in this life and that's the way this life will end up. So if you're walking right with God, I'm sure you're going to end up right with God. If you've been saved and you're a child of God, the end of things are going to be just exactly like you are now as far as your spiritual life is concerned. If you're heading the right direction. And I don't mean that you do it by works or anything I'm not suggesting. That... But the character of a person is is formed by what he really is inside. And if there's a new creature and a new nature, you're going to live the right kind of life. And then when you get to the end of it, it's going to be glorious. And you know, Jesus said in the very last book of the Bible, let me give you this. In the very last book of the Bible, in the very last chapter of the Bible, it says this. He that is unjust, unjust, let him be unjust still. I mean, eternity doesn't change anything. And it says, And he that is filthy, which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. So we better get our lives straightened out while we have time and opportunity, hadn't we? And be prepared for the hereafter look at the next verse it says in verse 4 he that observeth the wind shall not sow and he that regardeth the cloud shall not reap a person's always wanting the perfect conditions for everything sometimes we can't have the conditions like we'd have like to have them you, you know a lot of folks say well now when the conditions are perfect i'll go to work the, the carpenter out here says, now if the sun's shining and there's no wind blowing to blow the tin around what I'm trying to put on, and uh, there's there's uh, no cold weather so I can go shirt sleeves, and, uh, and everything is just right. Now if it's too hot, I don't want to work though because there's no shade. And if it's too cold, I don't want to work. Well, you see... We cannot always have the conditions. It says, He that observeth the wind shall not sow. There's always someone observing, wanting the very best time for everything. And the very best conditions. Sometimes we have to get out and struggle when it's cold. The Bible says, The sluggard, listen, the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in the harvest and have nothing. Tom and I know what that's about. We used to have. Get that ground ready and sow the wheat and no other would come down there. But we had to get it in anyway. If we didn't get the wheat sowed, well, next spring, next summer, there wouldn't be any crop. And sometimes it was hot too. In the summer you had to plow the ground. The conditions were not always the best. But you have to endure the hardships of life to have any crop coming in and reap the harvest. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the cloud shall not reap. Because if this was all that you had in mind, you would never do anything. In verse 5, and we'll close with verse 5. We don't have time to finish. As thou knowest not what, what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. See, we don't understand how that... Baby is formed, and how the bones grow in the womb. And uh, if we can't understand the mystery of of this thing in life, of natural life, how do we think we can understand the mysteries of spiritual things? If we can't understand the natural phenomena that takes place, how do we know how the spirit? How do we know about the things of God? As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. We have to re- recognize that God knows everything and we don't know about it. We're just learning the things of God. Well, we'll quit there with verse we'll stop with verse uh, 5 and pick up and finish in our next lesson the rest of verse chapter 11 and chapter 12. And uh, we thank you for your patience and your kind attention. I hope you've gotten something from these verses that we've looked over. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. God bless each and every one.